I want you to imagine what it was like being in captivity in Babylon for the Israelites. If you remember from the Old Testament, the nation of Judah and the nation of Israel, they were taken captive by that great enemy of the north, Babylon. And when that happened, the Israelites were taken from their families. They were taken to foreign places of which they did not know or speak the language. They were conscripted to serve in wars of which they did not desire to fight. And imagine being one of those Israelites. Imagine you are ripped away from your family. You are put into a place where you don't know the language. You are constantly wondering about the threat of war and about if you're going to be conscripted to serve in that war in some way. The food is scarce at times. The water is scarce at times. You have very few of your own possessions. It sounds horrible. It was horrible. Because that captivity was a punishment for their sin. Punishment for sin is horrible in a way. Whenever we think about that Babylonian captivity, you've probably heard this phrase before. We often apply it to ourselves in the church by talking about our captivity to sin. That since we have been wicked, we are captivated, we are taken captive, we are prisoners to sinfulness. I don't really have an issue with that. In fact, I think it's incredibly true. But the issue with it is that it can sound and seem, when we say it, kind of like when we also say leprosy to sin, another biblical application, it can sound kind of abstract. Like there's this thing, sin, that's floating around the floating around out there and that we are somehow captive to it or it's this disease that's in us. But what does that really mean? What does that really look like? For the Israelites, captivity in Babylon was so real. Taken away from their families, threats of war, scarcity of food. Real life Problems, And the thing that I want to say today is that captivity to sin shouldn't just be this kind of abstract thing where, okay, I have my normal Monday through Friday, eight to five type of life. And then on Sunday, I think about this sin thing that's kind of out there and kind of in me, but not really defined. Captivity to sin is a real thing with real-life applications, with real-life problems. It means that the way that you relate to God and the way that you relate to your neighbors is fundamentally different than if you were not sinful. Because we are children of Adam, because we are born into sin, because we have what we call original sin that is a problem for us, it changes everything, in a sense, about our life. It means that instead of desiring to worship God alone at all times, in every way, always giving thanks to him in every time and every place, 
and trusting in him all the time, everywhere, that we are tempted to make idols for ourselves. Idols out of money, idols out of time, idols out of silly things like entertainment from screens that constantly shine at us. It means that instead of wanting to always serve our neighbors in humility, to love them and to build them up and to uphold their reputation and to help them with their lives and their things that we often, sometimes at least, are tempted to take advantage of our neighbors. That we lust after carnal pleasures in the flesh. And when we do those things, when we make idols, when we take advantage, when we gossip, that also all has real-life consequences. It changes our relationships with each other. It changes the way that we think. It changes lots of things in everyday life. We spend time worrying about things in which could be used to be productive for other things. Real changes. Real effects on real relationships. And on top of that, and perhaps even more so, being in a world that is captive to sin, because it's not just our souls that are captive to sin, all of creation is affected by the fall into sin, and this is the captivity, we have things that affect us from the world captive to sin in our everyday life too. The very fact that there is war in the world, maybe it doesn't always affect us directly at every time, but there have been wars in the past that if we were alive then would have affected us. There are wars now that if you watch the news, they affect your stress levels and your dopamine levels. The fact that there is war, the fact that there is famine, the fact that there is poverty, the fact that there is natural disasters and hardship and sicknesses and all sorts of sufferings, all of these things are because the world is captive to sin. The captivity of Israel to Babylon had real effects. The captivity of the world in all times and in all places to sin also has real effects. There are wars and rumors of wars. There are natural disasters. There are hardships and poverty and sicknesses and all the rest of it. It's all because of sin and our captivity to it. And so, with that in mind, hear again these words that Isaiah speaks to the captive. The prophecy that the Lord gives to those who are enslaved in a world that has so many things really, truly wrong with it. Comfort. Yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord's hand double 
for all her sins. Advent, the season of the church year that we're in right now, it's about the coming of Jesus. It's not quite Christmas yet. We're waiting for Jesus to come. But the coming of Jesus, the message that he's on his way, that message of good news is a message of release from captivity. The prisoners are set free. Those who sit in darkness will see a great light. The Lord is on his way, makes straight his paths. The Lord is coming. That means that captivity is over. How do you know captivity is over? John the Baptist tells you why. It's because Jesus is coming. The coming of Jesus announces the iniquity being pardoned, the forgiveness of all of these sins that affect our relationship with God and affect our relationship with our neighbor. That forgiveness means that that captivity to living that way is over. We will have a freedom in Christ to love God and to love our neighbors. And the warfare is ended. Not only the things in our souls and in our hearts that affect all the things in our lives, but also the captivity of the world to sin, there is a release. Even warfare is something that the Lord cares about ending by releasing the prisoners. And that good news, it must be told. It must be announced. The whole world should hear. Notice what Isaiah first announces and then John the Baptist will later announce as well. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill be brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. The point of that is that no matter where you are in captivity, you can see it. The valleys are made low so that if you're in a valley, you will be brought up and you will be able to see it. The mountains will be made low so that if there's a mountain in front of you, it'll be brought down and you can see it. The crooked places will be made straight. So if you're facing the wrong direction, you can turn around and you can see it that the glory of the Lord is here. It has been revealed. And that's important. It's important because there's this thing that happens when you're in captivity. And Isaiah is going to go on to prophesy about this. A certain kind of human failure, I think, due in fact precisely to the nature of being in captivity to sin. That sometimes people don't recognize the captivity they're in. As we said before, even to us who are in the church and in these pews today, that captivity to sin can sometimes seem abstract. Think about those who aren't here. Or even also about yourself at times. Not only does it seem abstract, but it doesn't really seem like you're in captivity at all. We can trick ourselves and justify ourselves to the point where we think there's not really a problem. I can kind of just go on living this way. 
Everyone else gossips and lusts and is slothful and takes advantage of their neighbors too. I mean, I guess it's just natural. I'm just looking out for number one. I guess I'll just live with these feelings that I have. Well, it seems like I can't do anything about there being constant wars and threats of wars throughout the global powers. Guess that's just the new normal. Guess there's always just going to be a war going on. Guess this is just the price of groceries now. Not much I can do about it. Real life problems. Not much I can hope for. We kind of just become complacent. That this is how things are. Sin is just part of the world. Nothing much I can do about it. Might as well just live on with it. Isaiah recognizes this, I think, in human nature when he says that when the breath of the Lord blows on the people, they're like grass and they wither and fade away. When suffering and hardships come and when we see real life problems, sometimes we just kind of wither. We'd rather just give up and pass away and fly away like the grass. We are like grass, and the flower fades. So what we need is to be waken up. And John the Baptist, he comes shouting to us today. And what we need, because we are like grass, because we are weak, and because we wither, and because like the flower that's there for one season, and then fades away and dies, what we need is something eternal. We need something that lasts beyond our short-sightedness. And this is what Isaiah says, the people are like grass, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so there is something that you can hope in. There is something that can triumph over the captivity of sin. And that is the Christ who comes, who is the Word, made flesh this Christmas and every day and every year for you. That he has come not only to forgive sin, but to triumph over sin. Not only to release you, but also to bring you into his own kingdom, which will be better than any kingdom ever on this earth. There is hope over your sin that comes from your heart and soul. And there is hope even over the captivity of sin that this world is in. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. And that kingdom of God is growing and that kingdom of God still comes and that kingdom of God will come again on the final day. And on that day, every knee will bow. And even though it seems like there is always some war going on, there will be no more war for there will be one king over the whole earth. And I can't tell you 
if or when the prices of groceries will decrease. But I can tell you that because God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross and rise again to give you new life, that he will provide for you in all times and in all needs, even when it comes to things like the prices of gas and groceries. You know he fulfills his promises because he is the one who said he would do it, and he did it. He is the one who takes care of not only the little things in our world that bother us, but also gets to the very root of the problem. What are we in captivity to? Sin, he destroyed it. What are we in captivity to? The devil, he destroyed him. What are we in captivity to in the world? He triumphs over it. He created it. And he will make it new again. And so notice this victory that Isaiah speaks about when Christ comes. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. When Christ comes, he comes At Christmas, and he comes now, and he will come again, and he comes in strength to rescue you from all captivity and to guide and rule you in all things, all things, the little things, the big things, and let me say it this way, the real things in your life, from every little relationship that you have with all your neighbors to the problems you have at work, to the problems you have in your home, to the problems you have at church, all things. He is there to lead you with his mighty right arm, to give you your great reward of salvation, and to gently guide you like a shepherd with a lamb. And for that, what else can we do but to spread that good news? As we said, it is easy to think we are not in such bad captivity. But there are people, many people outside these walls who not only don't know that they're in captivity, but they also don't know that there is a savior, a rescuer, a deliverer for that captivity. And so I'll tell you with Isaiah, get up into the high mountain, O Zion. Oh, beautiful Savior, go to your families, go to your homes, go to your offices, go to your places of leisure and business. You who bring good tidings, you who know this message of salvation, lift up your voice with strength. Be not weak about your confession of Jesus Christ for the salvation of souls, but be strong in the Lord who has given you your great reward. Lift it up and be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, say to Olive Branch, say to Memphis, say to South Haven, behold your God, he is here. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. We stand for the offertory.